Welcome to the Small Business Show. Join us as we have candid conversations with entrepreneurs and experts in the industries to uncover the wisdom and strategies for running a successful business. The Small Business Show is the official podcast of Garuda Promo and Branding Solutions. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Small Business Show. I'm your host, Swire Ho, the Promo Guy. Today, my guest is Kirian Farrigan. He is the Managing Director of Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing Advisors. How are you doing, Kirian? Good. Thanks, Swire, for having me on the on the show. Um, would you mind to give the listener a little bit about your background? And then I know that you have a book and you like to tell people that they should develop a story to tell about themselves and their company. Sure. I'm a sales and marketing strategy consultant way up here in Canada, in Alberta, Canada, Edmonton, the capital of the province. And I have a little marketing strategy consulting firm up here. And a few years back, I realized that uh, my clients uh, really needed to get on this idea of creating a narrative for themselves, a strategic narrative for their companies, for their products, uh, for the markets that they serve. And they had a tough time doing that because no one ever asked them to do that before. So what I ended up doing was creating a framework that allowed them to tell their story in a functionally relevant and an emotionally significant way. And I eventually published that in a book called The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell, which is a leadership book, but it's two types of leadership, leadership internally for you and your people and leadership externally for market leadership as well. Let's start with a tough question, you know, the reason why companies, organizations fail, would you... Let us know a little bit about it. Do you see like a example or trace that why people uh, fail and uh, some people don't? Well, I have a definite idea on why that is. And I think if you take a look at startups, I work with a number of startups, a lot of startups uh, here in the province. And what I find is that, you know, what's the statistic, a small business statistic, 80% of all startups fail within the first five years, 93% fail within the first 10, something like that. And it's not that startups fail. A startup doesn't fail first. What fails first? And this can be startups. It can be product lines within established companies like General Motors, for example. Uh, it could be anything that is not growing is eventually dying because entropy takes over. Entropy is just a normal, natural function in, the, in any kind of entity that is deflating the overall energy. So you have to continually be able to pump this up. So the very first thing that fails is not your product. It is the story behind the product. And so the story has to be functionally relevant and emotionally significant to the customers, to the clients, so that they can see value in that, in the adoption of that product or services value propositions. If they don't see continued relevance, continued significance, they're going to stop buying. Or they may not buy at all, and eventually it deteriorates. So if you take a look at, you know, the the products that the General Motors would have put out 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they have to have been a continual continual state of um, invention and innovation. Uh, at one point in time, the Hummer, you remember the Hummer? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, was a big, big deal. And suddenly it wasn't a big deal anymore for a lot of reasons. So it had a very significant value proposition at one time, emotionally significant, functionally relevant, and then the product story started to be less and less relevant. So now, you know, the Hummer is pretty much in the museum of uh, General Motor products. Right. I like that because you teach people to develop a story. And that's, you know, my question to you. I think about my buying experience. Sometimes I really pay a little more too to buy a good story because I really resonate with a certain brand, you know, right? I even go drive 30 minutes just because I like your story and I wanted to spend money at your store or, you know, spend money with your cost if you're a nonprofit. So I know why leader know why we have a story, but for, I think most of the general population, you know, we say, you know, we just want to make some more money. You know, we just want to survive. And, you know, what kind of story can we have? And what would, what would you suggest uh, to those people? Well, first of all, let's, let's define what a brand is. And uh, my simplest definition of brand is brand is meaning embedded in story. So when you have an affinity for Apple, or you can say uh, Samsung, it doesn't matter which one it is, you are buying into the story first, and then the product and its value propositions, its functional benefits, all these things have to back up the promise in the story. See, that's what it is. Brand is meaning embedded in story. And so it's only when after you buy the product, you get it home, and oh, this isn't what I wanted that you're disappointed with the promise unfulfilled in the story you thought you were buying. So that, that's the very first thing. You have to be able to create a brand that promises either a aspiration of gain or the alleviation of pain. So that's what you're in. The second part of this, you know, you, you touched on an interesting point there, and that is I just want to make some more money. That's, that's the typical thing that some people say. Well, right. you know, that's a very sad state of affairs, isn't it? Really sad state of affairs because what you really should be doing is looking for ways to create value in your customers' lives. You know, whatever state of value that is. And there's so many different ways to do that. And if your sole objective is to create money uh, for yourself, enrich yourself, you're not really going to be very long for this world. You know, that that's that's the mindset to me of a con artist. You know, t- taking instead of giving. So uh, a true entrepreneur creates value. Now, you know, I think the last thing that a Steve Jobs thought of doing was becoming a multi, multi, multi-billionaire. Uh, he transformed seven different industries by creating immense value, immense innovation, immense invention, in all of those seven in industries. And that's his real legacy. Not that he's worth, you know, seven, ten billion dollars. He's gone now, but his wife has that has that uh, legacy of, of the billions in her in her bank account now. But that's a result of creating value, not a result of taking value. So as a small business, majority of the listeners, they're smaller, right? They might have limited uh, resources. So how do we find the story that works for us. Do we, you know, sometimes if you don't go deep enough, I, I, I think, then you are just having the same story like everyone else or, you know, better or worse, you know, your competitor, which is a lot bigger than you. So how do we find a story? Do we need to, what kind of market research do we need to do? Or do we just have to ask this deep down, you know, this is what we like to do. That's why we're in it. And then I have to be 
the best and I don't care. We lose money. We, we have to spend 20 hours just to make it, you know, nice for our client. So how, how would you suggest they find their own story? You have to ask, but you can't ask a superficial level questions. You have to ask the deep questions. You have to go to root motive. Okay, root need, root motive. You have to go to the real reasons for why somebody does something. Uh, J.P. Morgan, um, the uh, famed banker, financier back in the 1800s, early 1900s, he had a great line, a man, and this is a, it's a sexist quote a little bit. He says, a man always has uh, two reasons for doing anything, a good reason and the real reason. And you have to get to the real reason for what drives a human's uh, actions. What is the deep motive that they have? Now, one of the easiest ways that you can do this is you can do uh, deep research in the way of an interview or on surveys, but don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. A very quick way to do this and quick in the sense of, you know, being able to uh, reach thousands of people very, very fast is to do advertising. And uh, I have a little digital marketing company that I'm with right now, a company called Shopify. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, it's not Shopify, Socialite Communications. Shopify, I don't own Shopify. Socialite Communications, we're a Shopify agency. And we recently um, launched a campaign for one of our clients, and we tested 204 ad variations, different messaging, different headlines, subheads, images. And what we're doing is finding out what, people are clicking on, clicking through, uh, filling out forms on, all these kinds of things to see the results. And when we find that, we go from 204 down to maybe six or seven, four or five absolutely killer ads. Now, what makes an ad killer? It primarily has to do with the implied messaging that the ad has. What is that emotional context of the message? What is the functional context to that message? What is the promise that that message is impressing upon that uh, customer's mind? And when you get down to those four, five, six ads that are absolutely works, then you know you've hit on a chord with those people. And that's a very quick way to test whether your story has that first uh, major element, and that is the big idea. What is the big idea? From the big idea, you would then go into a series of key messages. And then from those key messages, you would go into the strategic narrative and all of the supporting narratives along the way. And that's how you build a story. That is how you build a story. You know, uh, this idea of elections uh, conducted in a very short frame of time. Uh, In the U.S., I know it's like two years for, you know, a presidential election between the primaries and such. Here in Canada, you know, it can be as short as 60 days you know, 45 days, something like that sometimes. And so you have to compress the message delivery in a very, very short frame of time. Well, how do you know whether the messages that you're delivering are correct or not? Through a lot of polling, through a lot of polling to see what your audience is going to respond to. So until you got the big idea, then the key messages, it's only then that you can build the strategic narrative. And then you have a story that in all likelihood will work for you. And if it doesn't, go back to the drawing board. Would you say we need to change or update our story along the line? 
you use Hummer. Let's stay with Hummer, right? When uh, H1 is used to have, and you couldn't buy it. It's from the military. If you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes, you can drive it. So then when they came out, the H2, everyone was crazy. It was masculine. It was trendy, and you could roll over things, right, on the freeway at the time. But then the story, like you said, died down. It's not hip anymore. We are eco-friendly. We are uh, things like that. Now they're trying to come up with a Hummer that is e- electrical Hummer. So Along those lines, do you think a story needs to be updated, right? Needs to change? Yeah, the Uh, stories stories need to be absolutely updated and, you know, kept relevant. Updated and kept relevant. Because what happens is the demographics change. The psychographics change. You know, the actual values and beliefs change as well. Uh, So we have a major, major LGBTQ movement and a couple more initials after that. Well, 50 years ago, that would not have been as prominent today. It would not have uh, would not have been as prominent at that time. But that's clearly a uh, psychographic trend in today's demographics. So to recognize that uh, within your communication efforts is going to definitely impact your communications one way or the other. I saw a, uh, a bakery store, for example, on the, on the weekend on Facebook, they had put out um, some rainbow cookies uh, as part of the celebration efforts to recognize the LGBTQ community. And they were uh, onslaught on the Facebook page with all sorts of hateful messages. And uh, in fact, one customer uh, canceled a major order and they were devastated. So they put this up on their Facebook page. The next day, there was a lineup around the block of people coming to support them. And they were completely sold out. Now, you know, so the times have changed. You know, the, the, the prejudices and also the aspirations of people from 50 years ago, 80 years ago are not the same today. You know, as what was acceptable 80 years ago is not acceptable today. And who knows what that's going to be 50, 80 years from now. So your messaging has to change along the way as well. Your stories need to be updated. Now, there are stories that have, are classic uh, throughout time. For example, the story of uh, Little Red Riding Hood. Now, Little Red Riding Hood uh, is a classic story. The little girl goes into the woods, despite her parents' pleas to never go into the woods, you know, meets the wolf and all sorts of bad things happen, but eventually she gets rescued. Well, that story has been around with us for thousands of years. And it's, and, and it's cross-cultural. There are Asian versions of Little Red Riding Hood. There's obviously European versions, but every uh, every civilization, every culture seems to have one of these stories. And it all revolves around a little girl that uh, defied her parents' uh, admonitions to not go into the woods. So there's an example of the core elements of the story having uh, having a lot of resonance and a, long, a lot of longevity. But in today's times, you know, what I say is that your stories are probably most relevant within a six to eight year time span. Uh, and why I say that is that's the typical length of time that a situation comedy lasts on air. So if you think of any kind of situation comedy, you know, the average situation comedy, uh, it's really fresh and new and ready to go at the beginning but then eventually starts you know, losing its relevance. And if you remember uh, the happy days with Fonzie and such, I don't know if you remember that. That was from my time back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, we have that moment called Fonzie jumped the shark. 
And uh, Jump the Shark is there stretching their storylines, trying to stay relevant, and they couldn't do it. And it was time for that show to eventually go. So let's assuming that we have developed a story, you know, we've, we think is compelling. How can we use a story to, to persuade others? And I know from, from your book, you're saying, do you rather to have a more mediocre leader and to have a great story than, than have a great leader with a bad story? Why is that? Well, this, because the story is the actual leader. So a great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. You know, wow, I thought he had so much potential, but what a dumb idea, right? And, so, and if he has enough of these dumb ideas, or if the first one's a really stupid idea, you lose faith in, in their ability to execute, their mental competence, their, where their heart is, all those kinds of things. But a mediocre leader with a great story has the opportunity to become a great leader. You know, so that, they still have developed their leadership skills, but now they're in possession of a great big idea and the key messaging and the resulting strategic narratives. So when we ask ourselves who's the leader, it's actually a dual orbit. The leader, the story, and they orbit each other. And in fact, in mass movements, if you think of uh, like uh, civil rights, for example, or the Indian independence movement or any mass movement, you will find that there's not just one leader. There are multiple leaders. You know, anything that big needs multiple leaders. And while the, you might have some definite leadership in certain cases, they also revolve around very similar storylines, several big ideas, several story, uh, supporting stories. And that's what these leaders promote. They promote the stories and the promise contained within those stories. So who's the leader? It's a dual orbit. The story has to orbit the leader and the leader has to orbit the story. Yeah, I like that because, you know, a lot of stories that I know, you know, start with a great leader or a concept, but then the leader is long gone. But then people, you know, sometimes after hundreds of years, still buying to the story because that's how the leader started. And we believe in the story. And, you know, that's why we're following it. Exactly right. You know, the leadership principles uh, contained within that story are very, very long lived. You know, they are universal, perhaps in their values, uh, in the aspirations of the people that hear it. And that's why what gives it its longevity. Your book, which is Seven Essential Stories, Charismatic Leader Tells, seven stories. Can you uh, walk us through the different steps and how we could, you know, also find the story within ourselves? Sure. Well, the stories themselves are very, very primal in nature. They are primal questions that everybody has when they view anything of significance in their lives. And that's why there are seven stories. And these seven stories don't exist by themselves. They're used to infuse the seven pillars of culture in your organization. And that's the front half of the book. And the seven pillars of culture are the operating system that give guidance and direction to your people. It's culture is the operating system. But then you use the seven stories to make that culture come alive because the seven stories answer seven primal questions. And the seven stories are, are as follows. Very first one is creation and origin. How did this start? Why did it begin? What was the inciting incident that made us decide we got to do this? We have to create this. So we have creation and origin. The second story is our identity, values, and beliefs. So who are we as people? 
What are our deepest values? What are our highest priorities in anything that we do? So, for example, with FedEx, it would be definitely timeliness, priority, timeliness. And so their uh, slogan is absolutely positively overnight. So it can't be, you know, it might get there. <laughs> it definitely can't be there. You know, so uh, timeliness is a very high priority. Uh, for what is it? Uh, for various organizations, you know, trust is a major, major, major aspect of it. Uh, in the beginning days of uh, Christianity, for example, uh, 2000 plus years ago, uh, it was a very small sect of zealots at the time. It wasn't this massive, massive religious movement of 2.1 billion people. So it was a small group of zealots at the time. And you would find that the Christians in the in your community, even though they may be thought of as a little bit of a wingnut, they were probably one of the few people that you can trust for honesty. Okay, and that was the initial part of it. And that was way back then. You know, that was right 2,000 years ago, right? Well past that. So you have to go to identity, values, and beliefs. Uh, the third story is the big idea. What is that central organizing concept that everything else is bound around? Everything else is bound around. So this is the central organizing principle. So if you go to Google, when they first started, they're into multiple uh, businesses right now. But at the beginning with the search engine, it was to organize the world's information. That was their mission. That was their big idea. Uh, story four is the enemy that we face. Now, the enemy doesn't have to be an individual. It doesn't have to be an entity. It can be simply something we fight for or we fight against. So the enemy might be we fight against childhood poverty. Okay, or we fight for adult literacy. So it's something that we can polarize in our efforts to show that we are going to change this in one way or the other. And of course, an enemy can be an enemy as well. You know, you can fight against terrorism. You can fight against uh, criminal uh, forces, uh, cartels, drug cartels. Uh, there's a lot of things you can fight for or fight against. Story five is all about the mighty winds. And the mighty winds in this case is I say that every organization, every business is like a sailing boat. And sailing boats need wind to power the sails. So in this case, the mighty winds are the big macro trends in your overall environment, in the situation. The big macro trends are things like this, societal trends, technological trends, environmental, economic political and legislative trends. And these trends can billow forth your sails, refuse to billow it at all. So your sailboat is just sitting there on the water or be so forceful in the wrong direction, it capsizes the boat. And the problem is most of us, uh, most beginning entrepreneurs, uh, most people who start organizations, they go out and they build the boat without ever ascertaining where that wind is coming from, the availability of that wind, or the power of that wind. And if you align your boat's uh, design to be in congruence with the wind's direction, availability, and power, you're going to have a much uh, better way, uh, I'm sorry, a much higher probability of winning. So here's, a, here's an example. Uh, back in uh, the late 1890s, uh, early 1900s, uh, American Express, which was a freight, freight forwarding company, uh, started, uh, started. And in fact, they were one of the first, they were the first people to put out a traveler's check. 
the American mm. Express traveler's check. So you could go to Europe now from the US and be able to cash a traveler's check. You wouldn't have to take cash itself along. Well, eventually they got into the charge card by the 1950s, uh, Visa, its predecessor firm, had started in San Francisco. By the 1960s, 1970s, MasterCard had taken uh, uh, place. And, of course, now we have all sorts of different fintech models out there. We have Square. We have Stripe. We have all these different types of things. If you had invested, that's a big macro trend. And the macro trend is called cash to plastic. Cash to plastic. Because most people don't like carrying wads of cash around. They want to have the simplicity of a thin plastic card. And now it's all on your phone or on your watch. You know, you will be able to, what is it, simply, you know, go about um, swiping now, you know, just on an NFC basis. If you had invested in the IPOs of MasterCard and Visa, you would have done stratospherically well. And the end is not in sight because the vast majority of the world is unbanked and uncarded. So we have huge swaths of opportunity still to be had in Africa and in Asia and in all parts of the world, in South America, that people do not yet are have bank accounts, let alone credit cards. So there's all sorts of opportunity for these fintech models to take place. And uh, there's, it, it's just a macro trend that has no end in sight yet. So that was uh, story number five. Story number six is all about the journey we must undertake. Now, story number six is simply this. The first five stories are the left side of the equation. So if all those five stories are believable, the equal sign says this is the journey we must undertake. This is what we have to do. And so what, what do we have to undertake? What are the steps to go forward in order to, to, in order to move forward? Because sitting still is not an option. The world is a changing place. And so if you don't keep moving forward, eventually the ground underneath you will give way. And so if you take a look at, and I, I have a story in the book uh, about uh, the Fortune 500 lists from like 1955 or something like that. And the vast majority of the Fortune 500 list was not present just 30 years later. You know, because they were relevant at the time. They were a Fortune 500 company, but they weren't relevant enough. to. They weren't inventive and innovative enough to continue on with that relevance. And so they disappeared from the list. So you have to continually update your value propositions to be relevant, functionally relevant, and emotionally significant for the time. Okay, and then finally, story seven is all about why we will win. So now story seven takes the previous six stories and combines it into a meta narrative with the addition of keystone elements. And what a keystone is, is something that will guarantee the win to your people because you want them to follow you. This is a leadership book. You want the, your people to follow you. How will you give them the confidence to continue the journey with you or to start a journey with you? And you do it with the addition of the keystone elements. Now, what are some typical keystones? Uh, here's, here's a very common one. God is with us. Superior technology, superior people superior strategy, and there's hundreds of keystones that you can have, and you can see it in all sorts of stories throughout history. So you combine all of these with the keystones, and away you go. Here, well, the story I use in the book to illustrate the keystone principle is that in 1519, Hernan Cortez fled Cuba with 630 men, one step ahead of his brother-in-law, Diego Velasquez, who was the governor of Cuba, to go and claim the glory 
of uh, of conquering Mexico for himself. Now, Diego, his brother-in-law, wanted to do it himself, but uh, Hernan wanted to claim that glory uh, unto himself. So he flees with 630 men, and he lands on the shores of Veracruz, Mexico. This is in 1519. And when he gets there, he scuttles most of his ships and sends two of them back, uh, you know, with the message that we've landed Veracruz and such, and we're going inland. But he was left now in on the shores of Veracruz with, in front of him, the vast Aztec empire of 5 million people and 200,000 square kilometers of territory. We got a problem here. <laughs> Behind him are probably charges of mutiny and hanging, you know, for him and all his, uh, all his people. But in front of him are 5 million Aztecs. What is he going to do? And what he did is he invoked the keystone of death ground. And what death ground simply said to his men, look, if we go back, we're dead. If we go forward, we might die. But we may also grab untold riches. Now, I don't want to get into the morality of conquering empires and things like that. I, I, I don't want to get into that. But he gave his people a clear choice. Stay and die. Go back and die. But, or go forward and maybe we will win. And two years later, after the death ground speech, Cortez and his allied Indian forces, there's a lot of Indian tribes that did not like the Aztecs at that time either. Two years later, Cortez and his allied forces conquered the Aztec empire simply by invoking this, this death ground keystone. So that's the power of belief systems that you instill in your people to get them to bring out the best of themselves to move forward in the direction that everybody can participate in. So, Kieran, that, that's a very interesting seven steps. So my question would be, would you suggest that we need all seven steps in order to be successful? Because I felt like if we can master any one of these seven steps, we could be somebody already. You know, for example, if you are having the wind behind you, which is the macro trend to be behind what you are doing, then you'll be a lot easier than if you're trying to uh, start something where, uh, for example, you try to start a factory when electricity wasn't available. Would you, would you agree to that? I, I would agree to that. And uh, here's the thing, though, okay? It's not whether these seven st uh, stories, there's seven stories, actually. it's not seven steps. These, uh, it's seven stories. And the stories are not sequential. They are a cluster. They're a cluster of stories. And the absolute worst thing you can do is come up to somebody and tell all seven stories in one setting. You will bore them senseless. But all seven stories are primal in their answering of the questions, the primal questions in your prospect's head, in your audience's head. But one or more of these stories are going to be hyper-relevant for this moment. So you want to tell the story that is most relevant for this moment for that particular audience. So you may only choose one story or two stories, but eventually if a, a prospect or a customer or your people are going to really buy into you and your brand, all seven uh, questions have to be answered through these seven stories. Yeah, I like that. And if you're a spot marketer, so you can see and develop the right messages. For example, one of them is against the enemy. So now we have to fight global warming. You know, that's why you have to, 
you know, use this product or use our services. Or when you say, you know, we're ready to take charge to uh, uh, homeless situation in our industry. So we need your help. So that's the journey part. So along the way, you know, knowing where you are within your stories, then you could pick the messages that's most relevant just for the situation that you're in uh, at the meantime. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. You know, when you are first introducing, for example, a new product, People probably aren't as uh, concerned about how you decided to invent this product. What they're most interested in in is the big idea behind the product and how it will transform their current situation out of pain to gain. Now, eventually, you might uh, tell them about, you know, the uh, why you started the company, why you invented the products and such. But it's not necessarily relevant at this moment when you first introduce that big idea. I, I, I like that. So, you know, having the stories in line, kind of like your mission statement, so you can reference back to it, you can see it's kind of like a, a plan, right, that, that we have. So we know what the story is like. So when we come upon that, or when maybe you become a little bit more successful, now you're getting interviews. Now, people ask you, why did you come up with that? Uh, innovation, then you can tell the story of the why. But then, you know, like you said, in the beginning, you know, that's the new idea, you know, that we can solve everything that you have. Yeah, Uh, yeah. without question, without question. I saw a great um, uh, documentary on Abraham Lincoln just a couple of months ago. And uh, we know Lincoln as the great emancipator. We know him as that. That's his legacy as the great emancipator. Uh, But he was a very complex man. And, and, you know, and it wasn't as simple as that he wanted to always free the slaves. It, it was not as simple as that. There was a lot of gray areas in that. Uh, and, but that doesn't necessarily take away from his legacy. Uh, but it is important to understand the breadth of what drove the decision making and what created the motives around why he did what he did and the forces that he that opposed him and the struggles that he faced. And when you understand this, that's what makes Abraham Lincoln come from this kind of an individual to this towering giant of a figure is by understanding all the breadth of the stories that are involved. That's really interesting. You know, I encourage everyone to really listen and you know, you got to spend some time. You got to ask yourself a lot of questions. You got to maybe talk to your client, you know, talk to your advisors you know, a, a lot about uh, to find all the seven stories. And I think if you're able to point out and persuade people with all the seven stories and you're on your way to success. I would agree. Uh, so, Kieran, if the listener wanted to reach out to you and find out more about what you do, what would be the best way? And can you tell us a little bit more about your books? Sure. Uh, if uh, people, I'm going to send you uh, a bunch of information for your show notes, Swire. Uh, so that you'll get that. Uh, you can come and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at my website, strategypeak.com, as in Mountain Peak, strategypeak.com, all one word. And uh, what I'm going to do for you, uh, the first five listeners that tell me that they heard about the book uh, and heard me on your show. Uh, the first five listeners that email me, Swire, I'm going to send them a free Kindle copy of the book. So just email me. All right. Thank you so much, Kieran, for uh, coming on to the show today. You know, love the story. And, you know, I'm going to go out and find my story. <laughs> okay, terrific. Terrific. Thanks for having me on your show, Swire.